This episode of Achieving Reality, the podcast, has been brought to you by HorrorPack.com. What's your favorite movie genre? Did I hear you say horror? Of course I did. Why would you say anything else? Plus, I know you like those mystery boxes, right? Yes, you do. Well, we have a great box for you to do your next unboxing video with. The Horror Pack. They're available in Blu-ray and DVD packs. A one-month reoccurring charge of $24.99 gets you the Blu-ray plan. No Blu-ray player? Well, $19.99 reoccurring gets you the DVD plan. Did I get your attention? Good. Go to horrorpack.com and sign up. Tell them Larry Greenstein says hi. Finally, Horrorpack demands that Ironmonger Brewing puts out a coffee porter all year and demands that this changes now. Also, they would like to free Tibet. Go to horrorpack.com now and join up. See you in your screams. What? You have everything fixed? Yes, it's up. Okay. I'm, no, on, it's I'm, on, I'm on number 10 right now. Uh, finish my thought, then we'll start. Oh, all right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Achieving Reality, the podcast. This week, we've got Jim Adams on, host of Monster Attack, and uh, we do the 10 most favorite Universal Monster movies. These are, of course, Universal Monsters, so that means, you know, Dracula, uh, Mummy, uh, Creature from the Black Room, Wolfman, Frankenstein, <laughs> and, you know, other guys like that. Uh, it's a great show. Really, it really is. And I love listening to Jim talk about horror movie monsters. It's great. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Achieving Reality, the podcast with Jim Adams from Monster Attacks. See you later. Hey, Chris. Hey, Larry. Hey, Jim. Hello. Hey, Marissa. Hey. Finally. Finally, yes. Hello. Now, you were saying earlier top 10 Universal Monsters or top 10 Universal Monster movies? Uh, top 10 Universal Monsters. Monsters? Yes, not the movies, just the actual monsters themselves. Oh, you know, Jim's got this in the bag. You know that, right? It's oh. monster movies. No, it's it's monsters. It's monsters. They mention the movies, but it's actual no, monsters. No, because at least one on there doesn't have an actual monster. Well, I was going to say that's what I that's, was. That's first true. thing that came to mind was. All right, so start over. But so, no, oh, I'm going to oh, stay with what I said. No, stay with what you, you screwed said. Screwed up. Nope, you screwed up. Yeah, it just makes. And I screwed up. Makes for good podcasting. You screwed up by correcting me, and then people would have figured out where we were. Yeah. Okay. Here. So it says the best 15 classic horror films from Universal Studios. Okay, you happy now? Yeah. Actually, I'm pleased. Yeah, happy now. Bitches. So happy I want to cue music and be done with it. <laughs> All right, so I'm ten music. That's right. So I'm gonna do a little run up first. These okay. are the uh, these are the uh, I still can't think of the damn word. I don't care. So these are these are the runners up. Like yeah, eleven to fifteen. The honorable mentions. Yeah. Ah, that was it. Honorable mentions. Son of a bitch. The losers. <laughs> Number fifteen, and it's a bonus. It's the hidden track. They were including the losers. They probably had Tom Cruise in that. Too. Yeah. Uh, Young Frankenstein from 1974. Okay. Uh, that's number 15. This dude always one of our favorites. It's a terrific it's movie. A I don't movie. think it should be on this list. That's why it's a runner-up. 
It is a universal horror. I'd put it in a different category. Yeah, this, true. Because I think it's more of a pure comedy. It's an homage to, to some of the yes. great monster movies, but I... It's, it's a spoof. It's, it's an apples and oranges I mean, it thing. Is, you know? It is Mel That's like, that's like taking airplane and airport and putting them on the same list. It or just zero doesn't hour quite work. You know, yeah. I, I would so say, anyway, that's... I would certainly put airport and, and airplane on the same list. <laughs> Especially when you get to Airport 79. Oh, God. Here's a great bit of trivia for you. <laughs> One actor has appeared in both the airplane series and the airport series. I'll think about it. Who? I'll let him think about it. Number 14. (laughs) Number 14 is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, 1948. One of our favorites. With Bela Lugosi as Dracula. No, it's got all of the classics in there. Uh, Just Glenn Strange plays Frankenstein monster. Yeah, yeah. But Strange does a very good good monster. And you have a bit of trivia on that one, right? Which one? About the Frankenstein monster in Emma Costello meet Frankenstein? Well, I know Karloff refused to do it. But he did do publicity for the movie. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yes, he did. But there's two actors that played Frankenstein's monster in that movie. Oh, I did not know that. In the scene which I feel is really violent, considering the movie. Well. Where, where the Frankenstein monster picks up. And throws somebody through the window. Picks yeah, up I remember the woman that. Throws it. That's Lon Chaney. Oh, because he played him in Ghost. That's Lon Chaney in the uh, Frankenstein makeup because Glenn Strange had hurt himself. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I did that I didn't know. Well, now see, there's yeah. there's also this. Interesting. Um, I know that. All the comedy was only when Bud and Lou were on on Yeah, and Strange on, really struggled this on screen. screen. There's the, a great clip with him and Lou Costello yeah. where they're doing take after take after yeah. take and every time you know and Costello's doing the you know, where he doesn't talk he's, yeah, well, he's, strange he's, like, he's sitting, I can't do this guy. He sits in the chair and he's actually yeah. sitting on Glenn Strange, the he's, monster. He's like, I can't do and this. He's, he's looking, he's got, look at his four hands. And they finally got a take because it's in the movie, but you know, you wonder how many. But took. they said it was really incredibly violent for comedy. No, it was. There was a lot when of When they weren't on, yeah. On, yeah. on screen. That's true. And here's another little bit. This was... Quentin Tarantino's major influence to become a film. Yes, I did know that. Right. I remember him. He there, always attributed The monsters that do one bit of comedy. Yes, I know. When Glenn Strange reacts to Luke Costello yeah. when he first sees him. Yeah. The one bit of comedy that they allow for the monsters. <laughs> All right. So the next one up would be uh, 13, The House of Frankenstein. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> they, they call this. The- With Boris Karloff. Yeah, yeah. like Dr. Nima. But not as Frankenstein. No, yeah. I love this. It says, two monsters, not enough for you? Try five. Yeah. The 1940s equivalent of the Marvel's Avengers. That's true. Yes, I could House of that. Frankenstein was the ultimate monster rally packing its 71 minutes mm-hmm. full of as many monsters as it could hold. It's amazing the number of universal horror movies that are 71 minutes. Yeah, they all they all fall into it. I think that was because they... 70, 75. Yeah, like I mean, it was kind of like for a while there... That was just, radio, you only when but, you recorded a song for radio, it was a two to three minute yeah, song. And, and remember back then, they you know when you went to see a movie, it was an event. Yeah, it you was had like the, you six had the main movies. show, but mm-hmm. you also had a short, which mm-hmm. could be and forty to fifty reel. minutes. Yeah, the newsreel, a cartoon. I mean, so you were there for two and a half hours for the most part. Yeah, so the main the main films were usually about it's sometimes it'd be 70, 80 minutes. Exactly. They're, 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 the rare epics would you know hit the ninety mark and the two hour mark. And now, here's the one that we're supposed to be done. Yeah, what's your Cecil be Yeah, that's four and a half hours of dancing. Yeah, you're there all day. Now, here's the one we were talking about off camera. 
Off or off mic. There's cameras here? Holy shit. There are. <laughs> uh, number 12, The Scarlet Claw from 1944. Yeah, see, I, I believe I saw that when I was a kid. And I think it was one of those that it may have made Monster Movie Matinee. And they thought, why the hell did I believe I saw it on a list somewhere. Yeah, I just... And, and I so I remember very little about it. And it was one that just did not impress me at all. Yeah, well, the picture of it looks like a garden rake. Yeah. And the guy attacking Basil Rathbone looks a little funny, too. So Was that a... Of course, you know, anyway, Was that a Sherlock Holmes movie? No. It wasn't one of his Sherlock Holmes movies. Okay. No, it was not. Because it almost <laughs> sounds like a Sherlock Holmes title. Yeah. And now, oh, he's the, 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 right? the, <laughs> the last before the actual top ten, number 11, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. 1943. It's a so bad rap. Bad rap. It should be, higher, rap. On it should be higher on the list. With Lon Chaney Jr. Yep. as the Wolfman and... Oh, no, no, wait. That was uh, uh, Bella played Frankenstein. Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. I was just about to say who played Frankenstein. But yes, Bella Lugosi finally got his chance to play Frankenstein, but he played him as blind. Yes, yes. There was a reason for it. And there was. It was written that way. <laughs> there was, but the, why do uh, people kind of pan this movie? Because of that. As the ghost of Frankenstein, the conclusion of the yes. ghost of Frankenstein. He's, he's blind. And the rather important plot point, along with all of his dialogue, was cut out, leaving the ghost to look like a drunk dad at a Halloween party. Yeah, if people would go back with that knowledge or watch the ghost of Frankenstein and then watch Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, even though yeah. it is technically a sequel to the Wolfman. Yeah. Uh, because that's it starts right. where the Wolfman mm -hmm. left off. But then it, it's a whole different movie when you realize that's what Lugosi's doing. Very funny you here. You got to know that information. The, uh, the, that, yeah. the picture, because the Wolfman had pants. Yeah. The picture here, you can really? actually see his, shut up. You can actually see his <laughs> finger his actual <laughs> finger through the glove. Oops. So he must have tore a hole in it. He or, might have. Or it just fell apart from sitting in storage. But it's well, kind of funny from this picture. But they're not, you know. But I still think, these, I, I still think movies, that film should be higher up on They're making the these movies pretty fast. That is a much. So, so when did he become blind, though? Because most people think. Well, see, when in, in The Ghost of Frankenstein, you had, you had Bella Lugosi. Playing uh, sort of an Igor character. He's playing Igor. Or I guess it was Igor. Yeah, it, it was, was Igor. It was Igor from the Son of Frankenstein. And I'll be he, bringing that up later. He tricked the, the doctor into putting his brain into the Frankenstein monster. Oh, but okay. the trouble was he went blind. I mean, somehow the monster goes blind. Yeah, they had different. And so lines. you, so yeah. he's got this big line where Bella says, "You know, how can I? How can I be powerful if I cannot see?" You know, and he goes on a rampage all throughout. So you've got a a Bella Lugosi Frankenstein monster. To close that out, and it's supposed to be the same monster yeah, it that says, opens up Frankenstein, and and it was written. The script was written where the character was blind, it's but funny, for some reason enough. they didn't let anybody know about it. The way they cut the they movie, cut it out. yeah, they yeah. cut all of that yeah. information. Funny out enough, when you said a little bit ago that it that this was a sequel to the Wolfman, yes, it was. It actually says right here it was a direct sequel to both the Wolfman yeah, and the Ghost of Because you got you got yeah. the beginning of this movie. They're opening up the crypt of Larry Talbot. Right. right. They try to steal jewelry, and all of a sudden it's like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, it turns back into the wolf. It's a great and scene where life. just his hand comes out of the guy, and, and all the other guys go, see ya! And the, and the guy that's <laughs> technically goes, and, and they downplay it so well. Mm -hmm. It's a brilliant scene where just, help me. We're out. You know, and he knows he's toast. But the, so, yeah, it, it is technically a scene. And he still yeah. manages to set the place on fire. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right, so we're going to get into the real deal here now. This is yeah. the actual top ten. Actual top ten. And the first one is Lon Chaney's The Wolfman. Yeah, I think that's too low. And that's number ten from 1941. I, I, cons- I consider that a top five film. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a absolutely magnificent film that even sustains itself over the years. I mean, I went back. I, I hadn't seen that film for about 20, 25 years. And I think it was about three or four years ago. It was coming on Turner Classic, and I thought, I'm just going to watch this movie, because I'd, I'd lost that one in my Yeah, around, uh, collect- and usually, it, usually around Halloween, they start God, playing the, I, the I classic just, Universal Horror I'd movies on Turner Classic. I how yeah. good that film was. And Mon such Chaney. a good film. Mon Chaney and Chaney carries that movie. It, it's the movie that he was born to play. I mean, he did. In his first confrontation with Bella Lugosi. Yeah, that's Bella. right. That's right, because Bella... Was the werewolf in the beginning? The werewolf Bella. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That I, was, I just I, I think that film was so like, underrated, and I I know a lot of people you know will say things like, "Well, American Werewolf in London" and stuff, which I love. That is insane. You know, but but this film even I, mean, you know, I have a hard time was, watching that movie. This film was made you know seventy years ago. Use this big word. and it's still as good as it was. The atmosphere behind it. Uh, it's spooky. It's creepy. It's got a nice love story to it. Uh, you know, and of course, it ends in disaster. Uh, sorry, spoiler alert. Oh, yeah, uh, you know, he doesn't get the girl. Hey, everybody! <laughs> it's kind of but she has kind of to. Well, she it's has from 1941. To. Spoilers. Yeah, she has to kill you. I said that on the podcast. So there's so many years. Spoiler alert. Um, there are people who I just there, there is so much that's right about that. Yeah, they can't hear it. And so many of the movies that have come up that have tried to make a different Wolfman fall short of it. With except, I think the the well, Benici, I was gonna say, Del Toro, Benici, Del Toro. I think is as close as I've seen come to them capturing that. Yeah, I think, but this film still will be playing fifty years from now. Exactly. It's still a good movie. What they're missing, and it holds up. Yeah, no, that's what I say. Which is which is what's important. Very movie. impressive. So well, I, I think Tom is way movies. too low for that. A lot of the more modern movies is that they lose the curse angle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They usually just cast They do it, yeah. It's just... Or you have a normal person who's facing vampires. Or facing werewolves. Instead of having the main character. And then it goes right. from there. And then you're missing the likability of the Larry Talbot character. Oh, and, he, and that's, what, that's and, what carries the movie. And Lon Chaney as Larry Talbot. I mean, that's... That role is his. Yes. But yes, I mean that's you know it, for people that that only remember Lon Chaney for the bad movies that he made at the end of his career, go, really. and you know he made some there that were a couple. Yeah, he made some that were. I mean, he always brought something more to even the bad movies than anybody else could. But I mean, the drinking took its toll. I mean, he, I mean, really in the '60s he he went down to fast. I mean, the, his performances as Larry Talbot are flawless, and, and you totally, totally. Are sympathetic. You're totally to sympathetic. I mean, and that's a hard line to walk because in and the then he later, turns into a monster. In the later <laughs> movies, he's Larry Talbot's only reason to exist is to get himself killed. Yeah, yeah. So much. he can end his curse. So he can stop it. So now that we've learned everything we need to know about Larry Talbot and the Wolfman. You didn't mention Maria <laughs> Austin. Yeah. Oh, I know. Number nine, Son of Frankenstein, 1939, with Igor played by Bela Lugosi. I think that's top five. I put that way up on the list. It's one of the, I think that's one of the strongest Frankenstein movies ever made. It's, but it's hard for me because I keep getting Sun and Ghost mushed together. Ghost, I think, is a little behind it. And of course, it's Karloff's last stint as the monster. Yes. But it's just, oh, the there's of, just so much about that movie to like. Because Son of Frankenstein ends with. Which one is it? The one when they fall through the floor into the pit? Sun. The Sun? Yeah, Ghost, he burns up. Burns up in the the house where the laboratory is. He 
In fact, they used the same scene again in House of Dracula. They, they, they used this, the very same scene with him burning up in the mansion uh, that, that they used from Ghost of Frankenstein. So yeah, fire, fire and ghost, and uh, yeah, the sulfur pit. Yeah, sulfur pit. The, the sulfur pit, because that's that's where they find. That's where Bella finds him in Ghost. Right. And drags him out of the out of the big sulfur Which, pit. You know, there's a, a lot of pits that Frankenstein monster falls into. Well, that pitchforks and torches. In the, in the original, oh, the torches, yeah. Man. In the original, he falls into a pit under the windmill. He does, yeah. 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 So, number eight is The Raven, 1935. Which I actually haven't seen. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably about the right position. You know, it's, it's still, you know, it's a top ten film. It's it is, it is uh, Bela Lugosi mm-hmm. as a guy named Dr. Richard Volan. Yes. What movie? Yeah, uh, and he's apparently a a, a a the most eminent and respected surgeon in America. Yes, and the only man capable of saving the life of car crash victim Jean Thatcher. Then he develops an obsession with her, but her father is having none of it. And but a bing, but a bang, it turns into the Edgar Allan Poe. It, it's almost more of a psychological thriller. Oh, I mean, it is Karloff or I guess too. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. That's I think it may be the first pairing of the two. I'm trying to remember. I think it was just before Son of Frankenstein. I never even knew this. Yeah, because a lot of people, and again, existed. I, I've talked a lot about the Ed Wood film that mm-hmm. was made. I, I love Tim Burton's Ed Wood film. But the one thing I did take issue with was the way they portrayed Bella Lugosi hating Karloff, because actually they were pretty good friends. They were competitive with one another, but the, the whole hatred thing that you see portrayed by well, I, in, in the movie Ed Wood is, is not the dramatic license there is to make yeah. Lugosi seem more bitter about. Oh yeah, his, no, no, about the fact that yeah, Karloff did better than he did, but that mainly was because of the morphine addiction and <laughs> well, yeah, hatred towards Karloff. <laughs> and if anybody was going to get addicted to morphine, you'd thought it was the Karloff. Oh, I know, I know, because he hurt himself pretty. But bad. they're actually, yeah, actually, they're pretty good friends. I mean, it's it's a good book. It's a good movie. But I wouldn't move it up into the top five. No. All right. Well, number seven is Bride of Frankenstein, 1935. That's a tough call. Mm-hmm. I really liked that movie. I myself. like it. I like it. But it's the quirkiest of all of them. It's, it is a little it's, strange. It's, yeah. It's very, I, I'm a huge fan of James Whale. And I think he was a guy that was a little ahead of his time. I, I, I think he makes more statements in his films than people realize. Maybe going back now... 70 years later, looking back on him, you can see it a little clearer. And I think folks really uh, didn't quite understand what he was doing Latin, back then. And the inclusion of Ernest Thessinger, oh, Thessinger. adds a whole new dimension to the Frankenstein. He does, yeah. The, the whole thing with the little people and stuff. You know, is, and it, it's something that, you know, with James Whale, he's a British director. Yes. And the British theater had a long history of camp. Where it's not. Oh yeah, no. It's, I mean, it's not. He it's, always built some kind of a little bit of humor into his films. But, it's, yeah. but it's, when you think about camp here in the states, you know, it's really kind of viewed as a bad thing. Oh, that's just silly. It's, but it's no, it's no. kind of a theatrical art form. It was in England. It's just another. I mean, aspect. As, a, as a kid, when I first saw that, the whole thing with the whole storyline with Thysinger and the little people and all that, I didn't quite get it. I, I sort of see the joke a little better now. But back then, it was sort of like, why, why was that there? Because we just want to see the monster in the rock. I mean, that's, you know, that's, I mean, those, those end scenes are unbelievable, unbelievably powerful. But uh, I, I sort of understand it, but I still think it's, it's the quirkiest of them all. It's, it's a little strange. It's tough for me to move that into the <coughs> Well, you're, you're kind of on record as preferring the original. 
Oh, absolutely. Between the two, yeah, I think the original. Well, no, I, I love the original See, I, as I, well. I, if I was to rank them, I would put the original as the best one, followed by Son of Frankenstein. You know, I think they're really close. They're almost neck and neck. When you say it's a, it's a movie that stands on its own, it really does because it's not. Yeah, it really doesn't I mean, have anything to do with the other one except for the monster. It's attached to the other one yeah. in that it continues the story on, but it's a different type of movie. On the it really is, yeah. yeah. So, number six, Kevin Bacon's The Invisible Man. I'm kidding. <laughs> the Invisible Man, 1933. Brian Well. Yes, it yes. is. No, that's another one. And again, he's always going to be remembered for Frankenstein, Bride, and Invisible Man. That It's an incredible film. And, that, and I think that's one that still stands up over all the years. Yeah, I like this better than Inside Out or whatever it was. Yeah, the, no, the Inside the Man Hollow or whatever Man, it was. Hollow Man. Man, yeah. Inside Out. And, and it it, it's, funny, it's funny you mention that because... When I did the show for Invisible Man, which was last season, mm-hmm. Hollow Man was coming on one of the Encore channels or something. I thought, I'm going to watch it since I just yeah. got through watching Invisible Man a couple of times. It, it, it was like, yeah, it's hollow. It's a hollow film. It's it night just, and day. It just it does, does not hold up. No. It, it kind of follows the same pattern, though. I mean, it tries, yeah. 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 yeah, he becomes invisible. He gets drunk with power. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I can understand, you know, the guy, whoever, you know, I f- forgot the director's name now, was clearly influenced by The Invisible Man. But The Invisible just, even The uh, the Invisible Man Returns, the Vincent Price one, I think is stronger than Hollow Man. They mentioned that that was actually funny because I just rolled down. I was going to say, then there was, but... Because I did those shows very mm-hmm. close to one another because they were so, so close to one another that I, I needed to do the podcast. And Vincent Price... It was like, yeah. Like the second turn as the Invisible Man. That's right. Evan well, Costello. That's there's, right. there's always right. the 1986 sketch movie, Amazon Women on the Moon. With Ed Bagley Jr. Where Ed oh, Bagley Jr. Jr. takes off <laughs> all of his things <laughs> and he's just yes. standing there nude. Yeah. That's actually very well done. It's actually if, a if you, funny, you, funny movie. Yeah. I've, and I've just saw, thinks he's invisible. That's right. They, son of the Invisible Man. They include it as a <laughs> clip on the uh, documentary on the right. DVD that's for right. Invisible Man. <laughs> they did a good job with that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, for anyone who's not seen the original Visible Man, they owe it to themselves to see it. It's a powerful movie. Word. And you've got to look at and you got to look at some of the issues. Again, Whale brings in some issues. He makes some real statements there that he tends to do in a lot of his films. And, and um, remember, there's a lot of uh, Hitler rising to power in Germany. So there's a lot of allusions to some of the unrest that's going around in the world. And that's another, another one where he brings a bit of camp to it, too. Oh, he does. Oh, there's a lot of it in there. When he goes out, when, when, the, well, when the Invisible Man goes on the tear in the boarding house and stuff, it's, it's just humorous as hell. Or when he's got stepping down the road. Yeah, that, that one, yeah. They, I mean, they actually mentioned the dancing uh, clothing scene. Yes, in, in it's this. hilarious. You know, so, yeah, there's some nice, because it's such an intense film. You have to have some of that. To break but I think up. something that Wales understood that most people don't even think about, I think you mentioned it on your podcast, is that when the Invisible Man is, is on his tears, mm-hmm. He's naked. Oh yeah, no. He has no clothes on. That's right. That's right. Yeah. He's assaulting people, and if he weren't invisible, no one would ever tolerate that kind no, of. No, that's right. Well, well this, I don't know. It'd be even funnier this if he is, wasn't. Had Hayes Code been instituted before this movie was made, it probably would not have been made. It had they would not on. have let that fly because people true. Would say, "You can't." Oh no, we can't do that. I mean, it would not have. Yeah, but then it would have been. How do you know? Because he. But that's how it. the Hayes Code went. 
it was all you know. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 we're just going to take the Safeway out and not allow that. So now we're now we're going to be going into the it's, top. It's five. like the 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 old legend about Star Wars. The Wookiee has no pants. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's they, right. They, they had concerns because the Wookiee had yeah. no pants. I mean, it's yeah. still you know, Al Porky Pig doesn't wear any pants <laughs> either. No, neither does Donald Duck or any of those guys. Yeah, can you Alf, Alf didn't wear pants. Can you imagine that's going true. to that production meeting and the, their producer's big concern is like, well, you know, the Wookiee has no pants. Put some pants on him. Yeah. Yeah. He's a Wookiee. Yeah, he's covered in seven feet of hair. Yeah. So let, let's get started with our top five here. Okay, top five. Number five, The Old Dark House. Yes, 1932. Absolutely. James Whale. James I, Whale. And I had a chance to sit down and watch that just a couple of nights ago. As yeah. in, funny enough, I, I, had, I did too. And I know you did too. So about two weeks Chris ago. Chris told on you. I Chris sent it to him. I honestly, I, I, <laughs> I have forgot how good that film was. And I was watching it, and I was like, "That was that was pretty good." There is a this is available on DVD. I don't know if it's on Blu-ray. It is. It is okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure about that when I did the podcast. It is available on Blu-ray. Uh, Cohen Film Collection ah. did a 4K restoration recently, nice. and they put it back that. out into, into certain that. theaters. And there is a Blu-ray. Of the, Excellent. And it looks gorgeous. I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna I'm gonna do that a write up on that uh, when I post. I saw the um, the trailer on YouTube. Good. It looks gorgeous. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah, I love these old black and whites that have been restored. But a great classic story, and I, I have no reason to, to doubt it, was that James Cameron got a hold of this movie when it came out on DVD because for a long time it was not released because of the remake by William Castle. Right. He locked a lot of things out. They couldn't even. They didn't even show there it. There's a remake from. They didn't 50s. even. Yeah, sixty-three. Sixty-three. They wouldn't even show it on TV until 1996, when they mm-hmm. freed up the rights. Another company got the oh, rights. Oh, what to could it. have happened to them? So, so I it. never saw this movie as a kid because they wouldn't <coughs> show it on TV. They couldn't. We and should, so we I was like, Larry if he, if I was he, like probably in my 40s when I finally got to see this. We should movie. ask Larry before, before you get into this. We should actually ask Larry about that. The what? She's the fiance, or were they actually married by that? Oh, I, I think they were married. The two? Yeah, yeah. The, they were married. They, they were married. They, they 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 were listed as Mr. and Mrs. Yeah, they were married. Because she but says the thing I wasn't the thing I husband. wasn't sure about, and I mentioned this in my podcast. Was I wasn't sure if they were on their honeymoon, but they were. But there was a they friend. were newlyweds. Yeah, that's. Weird and so, but but the did cool thing about Gloria reckon, Stewart, did you who plays, um, the actress? Yeah, well, that's what I'm it, looking at her right now. No, this is Gloria Stewart, and she she did some of the director's commentary. Because yeah, that was she was doing. She it. was one of the few that was still alive because most of these other actors were dead. And a guy named James Cameron was watching this movie and listening to the commentary, and was so enamored with Gloria Stewart, he decided to cast her in a little movie that he was shooting. In 1997, called the Titanic. Was she the old lady? And she was the old lady. She was Rose in Titanic. Oh, oh she that's was really a huge, cool. huge star in the 30s. Uh, I did not you know, know that. And then, she, then she sort of dropped out of sight there for a while. Like and most people do. This was like her first retired. movie back. Yeah, I mean, I she read, was, I was out of the business. I read it. I read about. Yeah, no, she, she retired. Yeah, because she wasn't getting any. any you know, it was and, over uh, for her basically. And she had. She was an so artist she, for many years. Yeah, so she was married to. She was um, 22 years old when she made this movie. So she was, you know, she was 87 when he cast her yeah. in Titanic. It was probably the first movie she'd done in 
25, almost 30 years. That's oh my that's incredibly cool. Wow. And she was nominated for an Academy Award. Groucho Marx used to have a big thing for her. Oh, absolutely. No, she was. And he used to tell his personal and, secretary. And as you probably could tell from the movie, she was a babe in this movie. Oh, yeah. Even the even the call girl was was a cute girl. Yeah, she was. She was. Yeah, Lillian Bond. Yeah. She was, a, she was also. Actually, it, it's funny. Between the two of them, Lillian Bond was the more sensual of the two. But in this movie, Gloria Stewart was the more sexual yeah. of the two. Because they really played her up. I mean, she's getting undressed in this movie. And, you know, I would say, you know, for 1932, pretty revealing stuff. Uh, you know, and, and, I, and I mentioned this. So they, I said they really, the they really, they really pushed the boundaries here. But Whale does that sort of thing in his movies. Again, pre-Hayes Code, if the code had been in effect, they wouldn't have done half the stuff with her mm -hmm. that they did. But she, uh, but, but Lillian Bond, I mean, she did nude modeling. You know, she did a lot of racy stuff back then as well. But she's playing almost like the... Like the, the innocent little girl who's the chorus line yeah, girl yeah. who's got her little sugar daddy yeah. and does nothing but sit on her bed at night and, and who just needs companionship yeah, and his pays some of her bills and stuff. That was Charles Lawton. Mm -hmm. But uh, one, of the, one of the things that I actually found very humorous, the father mm -hmm. that was in this movie is played by the creepy old lady. Yes. In makeup. Yes. And... It was only because of the And did you the, see the, the credits at the end of the, the movie? Uh, no, it didn't show them. The credits at the end of the Which movie. Which was weird. At the end of the movie, the it goes actor, black for me. Yeah, her name is Elizabeth Dungeon. Mm -hmm. At the end of the movie, she's listed as John Dungeon. I don't know why. They had her, you know, they had her play a man and older, and she does a great job. Yeah, oh yeah. The only but reason you tell that, she's that, a woman. I, that I really knew it was no, her no, is no. they did that real close up, and they had just done one, I don't know, five, ten minutes earlier on her. <laughs> And I went, hey, that's 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 cool. And then I listened, and I was like, oh, that's her voice, yeah. I think what I had heard was that James Will wanted a really frail, yes. gaunt-looking old man. And, and it worked. Because even in the movie, when the Wavertons come up on the, the uh, room that he yeah. or she or whatever is in there, it's supposed to be a 102-year-old man. Yeah. yeah. Um, they said, who's that woman in there? <laughs> I mean, they, they hear the voice, and they come in and go, oh, it's Sir Roderick. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. Now, one thing, if you talk about pure film, film nerd, there's so many cool things about this movie. If you pay, if, if you think about it, you got to think for a minute about it. How many other films were influenced by this movie and used a similar storyline? Maybe uh, we're talking about Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, yeah, yeah. Except that you don't have the three in the car. You've just got Brad and Janet. You've got Boris Karloff answering the door at the mansion in the driving rainstorm. And you've got riffraff, and the two are very, mm -hmm. very similar. And there's so many. And then riffraff. And then we, we we talked about another film. I think we haven't talked about it here. The Black Cat. You have almost the same setup again with that one, except it is just a couple. So I mean, you know, this this was a very influential film, I think, for a lot of people down the road. Oh yeah, and it, it still holds up. I think it holds up really well. It was very good. It's a bizarre movie. And it's after watching, I was like, "That was pretty." Good. I am going to show I it could, to you. I could it's only seventy one minutes long. Yeah, well, you were you were explaining this to me. In the car. I literally I could, explained it to her while we were driving, yeah, and she's like, well, "Oh, I get it." I could see people in nineteen thirty two. This film did not do well when it came out in nineteen thirty two. It wasn't a flop, but it was sort of a moderate success. People thought, you know, a year after Frankenstein, man, this guy's going to kick it. Mm -hmm. And it was like, uh, they didn't understand it. He did very well as the drunk, lecherous, Oh, he's mute. brilliant. But a lot of people criticize him for that. It's like, why? Because he used the same types of things that made him good in Frankenstein. Yeah. That he brought to but this. But he didn't, he didn't bring the pathos. 
to this part because oh, you never really feel. You need to. No, he didn't. No, he not in this part. I mean, no, this part you're this supposed part. to be. Yeah, you're supposed to be kind of afraid of yeah. this guy. Yeah, yeah, you're supposed to be afraid of him. And people forget how big Boris Karloff was. Yeah, I keep so he's like tall yeah. guy. Yeah, he's in a six-two. Because he's he's six, hunched two, over six, most of the time in yeah. this. And the thing he does with his eyes, where he almost makes him like fish eyes. I mean, it's just it's an incredible performance. I think I, how anyone could criticize it, and and I still say. The gal who who plays the the, the older sister, uh, she almost walks with the movie. Yeah, the little things she does, the the things that I don't know if Whale told her to do it or if she he he let her. Take, I mean, I think the scene at at, at the supper when she's eating yeah. is worth the uh, price of admission uh, alone. She's just, just eating, I mean, but she's also like, there's all these little things that make you realize this is a really bizarre family. And and uh, you know that she uh, also like serves almost as the foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah. Because her reactions and the things she says aren't necessarily immediate, That's right. but allude to things that move the story along. And of course, she's the total religious fanatic. Oh yeah. yeah so it's it's constantly she and you have never shuts up. Passenger again. Yeah. And also another another role. influence this movie had on something else was the the character that Boris Karloff played influenced a guy by the name of Charles Adams. Charles Adams wrote cartoons for the New Yorker, and one was the Adams Family. Yeah, and this is who inspired Lurch. Yeah, I can see that. He was inspired by this movie, and Karloff said that's how he came up with Lurch. Hmm. This movie has a cool stuff to get. I really love this one. And the movie has this really dark feel. Like there's something. Oh, it does. Something going on that they don't even touch upon in the movie. Yes. But you're never quite sure what that was. <laughs> but something happened in this family that was really. Oh bad. no! This is this this family is almost as bizarre as Devil's Rejects. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, they're maybe not quite on that level, but I mean, there there is something definitely not right with these people. So now that we've discussed number five, I was trying to think if there was anything else. In there. There's so much in this movie. This movie, I, I move up almost to like one or two slots. I mean, actually, I really it's like think it's that almost powerful. the world's quickest love story. And, you know, and, the, the, and manages, it, it, I think it is the world's and, quickest love And story. he also manages to bring in uh, a statement of World War One. Uh, you know, he makes it, you know, it's like in Black Cat. Oh, yeah. They dealt with that, you know, because they their buddy there. Mm-hmm. Definitely something happened to him in World War One. Yeah, what is this? Why, why is their buddy with them? Well, that, that's never explained. And I thought, you know, now would they have allowed that in the Hayes Code days? Because it's like. They might have. Yeah, it's just it's, like, you know, what is this guy's. You know, he's going out with these newlyweds. So, yeah, but he's asleep in the, back of, yeah. in the back seat yeah. when it's thundering and lightning. Something happened to him during the movie, too. Cause oh, yeah. That, the end of the movie is, is violent. Oh, no, no. He gets, he gets banged up bad by... Uh, that would have made it past the Hayes Code. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, they were all going to this but the other, And the other thing I want to mention on this oh, film, if you want the brilliance of James Whale and the way he shot this film, because I mean, there's there's some stuff in there he does with the camera. It's just not happening in 1932. Yeah. And I equated it. You know, you're gonna have to listen to the podcast, folks. It's almost like you can't, you couldn't do handheld back in those days. I mean, the cameras were enormous. Well, yeah, enormous. But he did some effects in this film that almost give you the impression of a handheld. And uh, that, that that's why I have so much respect for this guy. He's an incredible director. And he shoots a good portion of the movie on the staircase. Yes, he does. Yeah, he does. Well, you know, and a lot of this movie plays out like a stage play. Yeah. Which, I mean, even Frankenstein, a lot of them played that Almost noises off. Because, you know, you know, for, for the first 10 years or so, really, well, in, the, in, the, in the film, 
history, most Martin. of these shots were, yeah, they were all shot. I think Wells like was directing the stage. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Okay. So, now that we've re-re-discussed yes. number five again, we go to number four. Oh, yeah. and that, uh, Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> the Mummy. 1932. That's an underrated film. That's one of the ones I truly like, along with Frankenstein, there The Bride of Frankenstein, the original Dracula. scenes in that movie. I still say, that, the one that, that, that stuck with me, I saw this one, I was pretty young, I think it was probably second or third grade when I saw the, the first time I saw The Mummy. The scene where The Mummy first animates mm-hmm. and comes up to the guy who's working, he's working in yes, there, and the his reaction... Is such a powerful scene, and all the guy does is look up and go, ah! and then just starts hysterically laughing. I mean, that looking at the way everybody plays stuff over and the top nowadays, that's the way it would have happened. I mean, that and guy goes, the guy goes, yeah, it, it, none of these have music. The guy just goes off his nut immediately. I mean, it's just it's 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 incredible. It's an incredible scene, but not overly dramatic. So no, it's not. That's it's what very it's intense. And, so I want to say it's very Lovecraftian. But very much so. Yeah, that's a great, great description. These screams, sorta. But I mean, there's there are some genuinely frightening scenes in this movie. And I, the other scene that always stuck with me is when they take. Yeah, I should turn the damn phone off. Uh, <laughs> somebody sent me something. I know it's something. I probably a Facebook post. Um, was the scene where they're wrapping up Karis? You know, when he's been been convicted and. And they're burying him alive, and that that final scene where they're showing him, you know, covering up his eye. That, man, as a as a kid, and even as an adult, I was like, man, there's like the hair raise up on the back of my well, neck. Even, we were talking about it earlier. Even in the Brendan Fraser remake, they yep. do that same scene. They do, they do, they, they pay do. homage. It's, it's great, very well it done. Is. It, that, that that's too. one of the things of that movie I do like. Yeah. But the thing you don't realize is that that scene we were talking discussing at the beginning, that's the only time he's in the mummy makeup. That's true. That's it. Now he's yeah he's Karis is Karis for rest of the film. That's right. Now a lot of people keep thinking that he's well, because he because up. well they think around you know everybody thinks of the other mummy movies because as kids growing up when we talk about the mummy we're thinking about post the mummy real mummy's hand mummy's curse mm-hmm. mummy's tomb and all that we we did the mummy's hand last year uh, and I'm saving this one for for a reason. But yeah, and in that one, the mummy's always in the mummy costume, no matter right. what, whether it's Tom Tryon or or uh, Lon Chaney Jr. or whatever. But uh, yeah, yeah, Karloff spends very little time in the in the makeup. You're right. It always struck me that the mummy was like the redheaded stepchild. Yeah. Of the Universal Monsters. Well, he, house, got, house he got wrapped up in the houses. Dracula. Yeah, did, that's right. No mummy. Yeah, where is he? Yeah, they're going to easily work that storyline in. It doesn't even make it into yeah, the Pyramid of the Mummy. I mean, I mean, in House of Frankenstein was all set up in little vignettes. Right. So, you know, you take care of John Carradine early on, and then and then you got the next one, you got the very top of the thing and the monster. You know, why not work in a tomb with a mummy in there? I mean, it's, why I mean, not, it's part of the traveling show. Yeah. Something, you know. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's how they got that's how they got Dracula. You know, and then the same thing a, in House of Dracula. Somehow, oh, you know, we delivered this mummy to you by mistake at the mansion. Oh, no, that's not a Dracula. But I mean, I just did House of Dracula. But I mean, you know, somehow, you know, you could have Dr. Uh, whatchamacallit experimenting with him or something. Well, he Whatever. has the bones of Dracula. Why wouldn't he have a mummy? Yeah, that film was shorter than House of Frankenstein. So give it another 10 minutes and throw the mummy in there. 
<laughs> it doesn't make it into Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein either. No, he's not. He gets his own either. movie later. Yeah, he gets yeah. out of Frank. Uh, they meet the yeah, mummy. Yeah, they meet the mummy by Amish and maybe. But they wouldn't have had. Maybe that was a way of saying we're sorry we stiffed you. So. Well, if uh, Meets Frankenstein <laughs> hadn't been such a huge success, there wouldn't have been a Meets Mummy. That's true. true. That's true. Or Invisible Man. I mean, I understand the, the fact that the creature doesn't make it into any of the well, see, that's, Yeah, no, but that, so yeah, yeah, that was 54. I yeah, mean, you know, so we're, we're, you know, this is this is the, the, the early Universal years. And then they take a little break and then they start getting into, you know, some of the other Jack Arnold films like Them and stuff of like that. Mm-hmm. And, and Creature sort of came out in that next group. He's kind of like a stepping stone from the yeah, classic yeah. ones to the... Right. And then, well, and that's what the Evan Costello films did was sort of... But Invisible Man doesn't there. show up in any of the crossovers. Do he doesn't show up in a lot of stuff. No, he doesn't. No, the Invisible Man the fact Man he's doesn't. running around naked. He, he was probably in it and we just didn't realize it. Well, he is in Evan Costello. In House of Frankenstein. In House of Dracula, is that after Hayes or is that before Hayes? That's after after the codes. There you go. And I could have been in a lot to do with it. His movies get a little the Invisible Man oh, yeah. movies get a little um, yeah. wonky. They do after the second no. one. No, they do. Yeah, yeah. There's five of them. I've only seen four. Which one haven't you seen? I'm trying to remember which one was not because it was like man, I didn't even know that Invisible Woman. There's Invisible. I've seen Invisible Man Returns, Woman, and there was another one. There's Invisible Agent and Invisible Invisible Man Revenge. I've seen Revenge. It's Agent that I've not seen. So number three. Is Dracula? I mean, uh, Frankenstein. Sorry, I read Dracula. <laughs> they literally read that. I, I was down on the first paragraph. It says Dracula. Powerful film. It's Frankenstein, nineteen thirty-one. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the book, but little. It's a good book. Just a little. Oh yeah, but the name. The name. <laughs> <laughs> the, the book's a movie within itself, but no, actually, the book is almost a miniseries because it's so long. But uh, I love the movie. And Karloff was credited as a question mark in the opening. yeah. Well, this is the, the one. Opening. This is the one reason he got lead billing in the old Dark House because they felt sort of bad about the fact that he was so well received in Frankenstein, and they didn't give him a very good credit. He is credited at the end, though. At the end, he but is. the front credit and he is just a question mark. Lugosi, yeah, in this movie. Yep. Yeah, Lugosi was offered it first, and he turned it down because the monster doesn't speak. Yep. Which makes it really ironic that when he does play the monster, they <laughs> cut all his dialogue. That's right. They cut all his dialogue out. <laughs> yeah, but then he was only doing it for the money. There's some there's some really intense scenes in the original Frankenstein. Yeah, it's I think a good the, one. I think the stuff with, uh, it wasn't Igor, but, you know, the Dwight Fry character. Um, the, the little assistant said, yeah. when he's killed, that's pretty intense. Mm-hmm. I mean, and... And, and when he's and again, the, got the uh, fire and he's tormenting the monster. Yeah, when I first saw this movie, it was on a monster movie matinee. <laughs> and they did not, they had they had pulled the scene with the little girl getting thrown into the See, water. So you have to keep that. No, and, that, and so I was, actually, when they put that back it's in, that was probably, I think it was in college or maybe a few years after I got out of college. It was late 70s. Um, I, I believe it was that, that long before they finally... It was about the same time they put in, there was a cut scene from King Kong that they added in. They thought it was, the Hayes Code thought it was too too well, sexual cut, because it was taking her clothes off, basically. Well, they cut the Colin Clive line, too. You know, and yeah, so there was a lot of stuff that got cut. But, you know, and then when, when I saw that film again where he throws her into the, it, it's a whole different movie. Well, cause because it, it, it explains it, the monster in a whole different way. But it plays, it also is worse when you cut the scene. The last thing you see is him reaching for her. Yep. Yeah. And then you see, and the, then you see the, the father, father just walking into town. That's carrying the body. So that's the first few times I saw this movie. That's the version I saw. 
for many, many years. Oh, yeah. the, the the few times I've seen it has always had him throwing the girl in. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's a different movie because in the first version with that cut out, he's a total, absolute monster with no remorse, you know, and when you see it where he does throw her in, you realize he's just a child. He doesn't under... He, Right. We're throwing the flowers in mm-hmm. and we're out of flowers, so we'll throw in the next pretty thing. And she goes into the water, mm-hmm. you know, and then and then he and then you see it on his face where it's like, oh no, you know. I mean, every time he hurts or kills somebody, you know, you can see that like a kid that did something bad. Yeah. I mean, but you don't get that when you take that scene out of the original movie. Exactly. The other scene when uh, Colin Clive says, uh, now he knows what it's like to be God. Yeah. Was cut out. Yeah, that offended people, so that came out. And it was apparently lost for a long time. A very long time. And yeah. so somebody had found mm-hmm. one of the, the records, the big audio disc oh, they, wow. they wow. used to sync with the movie and was listening to it and heard the line <laughs> and then knew to go back to look for it. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing some of the stuff that gets changed in some of these movies. But again, it's well, he's way ahead of his time. And he's made, he makes a hell of a statement, I think, in Frankenstein. I mean, I think he takes the spirit of what, you know, what the book was trying to bring out it's the whole thing about man playing God or whatever like that. And I think he does a pretty good job. You know, he couldn't go all the way with it. He was, he, not a, a, you know, he was not afraid to approach the blasphemy of it. No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so. He's looking at us like, it's I'm got just, a monster in it. I'm just listening. <laughs> it's got a monster in it, that's for sure. Yeah. It's not the monster, I guess. So, well, yeah. So, so after Frankenstein, technically the monster. <laughs> Uh, number two is Dracula. Yes. 1931, Bela Lugosi, based off of Stoker's novel. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually more off, it's the, more stage off the stage play. Yeah, because I, I had yeah. the privilege of... So Frankenstein. I had the privilege of directing the stage play and playing Van Helsing in it as well. Did wore two hats. We did it in the round, which had some... And I love the stage play, so I made everybody watch the movie. Apparently, and I didn't know this... Uh, this was actually set up for Lon Chaney, yeah. who died of yes. throat no, cancer it, it, it just a few years Lon Chaney before. Senior. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Bella was actually, I think, about the fourth or fifth guy they offered the role to. Even though uh, he they, was they, famous they, for playing it there was, Yeah, there was a couple of guys that they kept approaching. I'm trying to think of, there were some other fairly um, popular actors back then in the early 30s that they offered it to. And there were some that were really surprised. But if I said, yeah, okay, get that little was, I mean, he made very little money on this movie. It was like, like almost being paid. I think like he, they part. were afraid of because he had the, such a. They were worried accent. about the accent, yeah, which made the movie. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, you can't imagine the character without. I, it's just hard for me to believe that they were thinking that way because I mean, the, the stage show was such a hit, and he was. I mean, that launched his career. I mean, that uh, people loved this, the stage show, and it played for many years after you know, after the movie came. I think this film is very underrated when it comes to... There's a lot of people nowadays that don't include it as their best vampire film. I think it's one of the best. I just Even with the armadillos walking around in Dracula's castle. In the I love the armadillos Which is just like... There's just, I mean, again, this is, you know, this is Todd Browning doing his crazy stuff. I, no, I mean, I think it was something was sort of cool. It was like, yeah, why are there armadillos there? You know, they were supposed to be supposed something to else. Jack, Jack, yeah, Jack I mean, rats. Um, with but shells. It's funny. I didn't read. I ne- I did not read the book until about three years ago. Loved the book, um, and I've become good friends with Bram Stoker's uh, grandson, 
who lives up here in South Carolina and is an author himself. He writes horror films. He does the, the, uh, the convention films. circuit. Too. He, he does the yeah, Dacre Stoker. He's, he, he's wasn't at Days of the Dead this year, but he come, sometimes does that. I one. think he's supposed to be at the one in Charlotte. But he'll be a monsterama. Yeah, he's he's up in Charlotte this weekend. But uh, yeah, the book is amazing. I think for what the movie tries to do, there's no way you could do this book. Actually, the horror of Dracula that Hammer did is closer to the book than this one, but. I think this one grabs the, the feel of the book better than that one does. So, you know, Lugosi, the only bad part is that he's been spoofed so much over the years. Yeah. It's it's hard for people to take his performance seriously. But when you really, if you can try to eliminate that out of your head and look at it objectively, it's it's a hell of a performance. And the, and the uh, Edward Van Sloan, I loved his Van Helsing. In fact, that's the one I, he inspired me when I did it on stage. That's the kind of guy I wanted to be. Um, but there's a great chemistry there. That's just, just an awesome chemistry there. With the, these weird, guys. the weird thing about him is that when I think about him, I think about his appearance in Frankenstein. <laughs> where he does that weird thing at the beginning of Frankenstein yeah. when he comes out in front of the curtain. Oh, I know. I'll tell you how horrible it is. And, you know, you might be shocked. <laughs> And he plays he plays it a little camp too, and that he does. He does. It's just probably James Whale, but not. You know, <laughs> it's just such a bizarre thing to see at the beginning of it, and then when I see him in Dracula, I kind of forget about it until about halfway yep. through. And like, oh, that's right, he does the thing. That's right. <laughs> it's a great guy, you know, Dwight Fry. He, he, yeah. And I love the scene where the the ship has come in. You know, it's all empty. Everybody's dead. And, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. Of course, the captain's lashed to the wheel. And all of a sudden, you hear, <laughs> and out comes right out through the chest. It's just great. So it's some great camera work there. Right? Browning really does a nice job of that. Speaking of people in parody, yeah, Peter McNichol does, yeah, he, does an he incredible that. version of that in yeah. Dracula Dead and Loving It. <laughs> yes, he did. Same yeah, he, he channeled Dwight Fry in that movie, that's for sure. So no, I yeah, that's definitely a top fiver for me. It's one of my favorite vampire films, and I think it still holds up, even in spite of all the spoofs. There have been a lot of directors. Just movies. way too many. No, I mean, but the spoofs especially. What well, was the one with? Um, I never deleted wine. You know, all of that. Oh, oh, we're guilty of that one, though. Yeah, I know. We all have. I've spoofed myself. You know? <laughs> but at least we changed the line. <laughs> Never drink Merlot. Uh, yeah. So, so, number one from 1925, The Phantom of the Opera. And oh, you get a car, and you get. I'm sorry. The, <laughs> Phantom, the Phantom of the Opera, 1925. Lon Chaney, legendary it's man with a thousand faces. I don't know, I might pay really good money to see The Phantom replaced with Oprah. <laughs> the Oprah in the, I don't know in the third cellar down there playing the big pipe organ it's hard it's, it's funny and you're gonna buy a the first, uh, and you're... the first Phantom movie I saw was the 43 one and the one with uh, was it Nelson Eddy was in it and was it uh, the Her Herbert it, Long yeah no 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 Herbert Long was in the 60s right right um, let's see who was uh, um that's blanking out who played the fan. It was terrible. It was a big, big time. That's the one that's actually Claude Rains. Claude Rains. Yeah, sorry. That's Jeez, the one that's actually included in the Universal Monsters box set, not the original. Yeah, it is, and I'm. It is. I have a tough call between that and the silent one because the, the end scene when well, the, the mask is pulled off and you know Lon Chaney Senior singing it. That's an incredible scene. 
But I, I've always had an affinity for the one that came in the 40s with uh, Claude Rains. And my grandmother gave me something years ago, about, about 10 years or so before she died. She had found, back when she saw this movie, and you went to the movies, you actually got a playbill. Yeah. Where she was. It was this was yeah. in Western Massachusetts. And she had her playbill from that movie, you know, that she had gotten and kept all those years. And it's absolutely treasure. It's like one of my Very cool. film treasures, yeah. But uh, it's tough because um, I love silent films too. But uh, I don't know if this one belongs at number one. I think it's in the top ten. I, uh, but it's it is a, it's an incredible movie, and a lot of people have not seen it. I I got to see the film version mm-hmm. uh, of this when I was taking my film classes oh, God, in college, nice. and he busts out this giant film reel nice. that they had down in the basement. He hooks it up and he's like, "Now uh, everybody, you are going <laughs> to." He actually sounded like that. We're going to maybe study him in the front. No, no, just, this just is this is this is how he sounded. <laughs> like, we're going to watch years in between Muppet Show. And <laughs> yeah, and... yeah. We're going to watch the Phantom of the Opera. I hope you really enjoy this. It's not like the stage play, you know. It's, oh, we, nothing. And, and, and what's funny is he goes, which really is horrible. And, <laughs> now I love the stage play. Well, and the music's it? good. I love the music. But uh, he puts this on, and uh, you know, he cuts the lights and. It's on, and you get the organ music. Do, 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 yeah, I was wondering, okay, so yeah, they had the other And the whole nine music. yards, and when it got done, he says, as you're leaving, I want you to tell me what you thought. I went, holy crap. I was like, that was a lot better than I expected. Oh, no, it's a, it's a hell of a film. And, uh, you know, he was like, oh, good, I'm happy you liked something, Larry. And uh, <laughs> as, as, First time as for everything. As yeah. we're walking out, I was like, I was really blown away. And then... A few years later on Turner Classic Movies, I got to watch it again. Yeah, well, I, I talk about Turner so much on my mm-hmm. podcast. I was they just are like, the go-to. They, oh, yeah. they always bring out this stuff all the but time. But I, I got to watch it again, and yeah. I was sitting there watching it's it. still good. And I was just like, yeah, it, it's really good. And I love the reveal scene. Yeah, that's one of the most iconic scenes in any movie in yeah. the history of film. Yeah. I think you just, you can't, to think about what he had, when you read about what he had to do mm-hmm. to make that effect. I mean, what Lon Chaney put him, that guy, man, I swear that the pain he endured oh, yeah. for the special effects that he did, or the makeup effects that he did is is absolutely unbelievable. But if you like that film, then you almost owe it to yourself to watch The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I have seen that. Yeah, so that's another unbelievable That was another one I got to watch. Another one of my favorite silent films. Yeah. That and The Potemkin and some of the other classics. I've watched The Potemkin. unbelievable Uh, filmmaking still. Weirdly enough, and I I keep forgetting to buy it, one one of the more weird movies that I really like, uh, it's not a horror film, 5,000 Fingers of Death. No, of of uh, of Doctor Terwilliger. Yeah, you know I've not seen that one. And it's basically about. a Seuss movie. Yeah. With the guy who played the Grinch that did the voice for the Grinch, he's the main character. He's Doctor Terwilliger. Boris Karloff. No, no, no. Boris <laughs> Karloff did the voice. Of the he yeah, did the yeah, no. This is the uh, okay. Yeah, not the actual Grinch. The guy who did the um, narration. Oh, oh. Um, Tommy the Tiger. Was that Edward Edward Horton? I, I think it might have been. I'm not 100% sure. He did sure. a lot of Bullwinkle and Rocky shows. Too. Yeah. He no, had that William voice. Conrad did. 
Rocky well, Horror. no, no, but no, I mean, but Everett Everett Horton did some some Voices. of the other vignettes. But uh, um, so he's Doctor Twilliger, and I think he's the guy you're talking. And about, yeah. there's this giant piano. Yeah, Tony the Tiger did and the singing. And yes. he kidnaps children to play this giant piano because he's trying oh. to make this great piano concerto. Oh, jeez! And then have it performed. <laughs> and it, it, it was it's weird they I all wear this for the, I've heard they all wear this I've hat with a, with a hat of a hand on it yeah so I've never seen there's yeah. some wild stuff out there it, it's weird it's but yeah I mean this movies. one yeah it's probably top five I don't know if I'd make it number one I, I, I almost I, would put I, this number one myself one I, I still leaning towards this old you know the old dark house <laughs> it's still I think one of the stronger but. Just but, because it is so ahead of its time. And we all know what's missing. Now, granted, these are, like you said, the original early ones, yeah. but Creature of the Black Lagoon. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can understand why it didn't make... Well, of course, they did throw they did throw Young Frankenstein and stuff on there. So, yeah, that Creature should have been there. It should have at least that's been a, 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 that's a trend setting, mention. It's a trend-setting film. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it really well, it, opened it back up. That was another one I got to see it yeah. in my class. In, in the way did you get to see it, it in 3D? Or did they uh, no, 3D it was versions? just, no, it was just the regular. That's pretty cool in 3D. Like yeah, he's, he was trying to get that. They didn't have it in the basement. Yeah, because well, you have to have a special projector. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they had the projector. Oh, okay. Because we, we watched... Um, was it House of Wax? No. House of Wax was in th the one with Vincent Price. Yeah. Okay. Then yeah, that was it. We saw that in 3D. That's a we cool We were sitting there with the red. Yeah. The red. Yep. That's a good movie in 3D. One guy's like, I don't get it. And I looked, and he said, "Have his glasses on." I went, "You're a fucking idiot." Put yeah. Those no wonder why it's gonna look fuzzy. Yeah. Put those on. Oh, I can only see out of one eye, anyway. Doing the thing with the yeah. <laughs> the paddle ball. <laughs> He's like, "Well, I'm blind in one eye." I'm like. Well, then you're screwed. It's like, yeah, you're fucked anyway. Then. Yeah, that's just screwed. Well, no, put it on so you can see at least part of it. It's still going to be blue. <laughs> it's still going to be like, it's blurry. either going to be all blue. It'll be blue, blue but is, whatever, it will be all whatever, one eye, image is, whatever not, eye is blind, it's either going to be all blue movie or all, all red, red movie. movie so. yeah. <laughs> but at least be clear. That's true. That's yeah, true. It would be that. But speaking of that, I was reading this article last night. The Phantom of the Opera was inadvertently shot in 3D. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I heard about that. They used a two-camera setup. And it had something to do with they, they wanted two yeah. prints for it. So Didn't they did a side by side camera setup. There's your, there's your 3D right there. There is a, yeah. I a French company. They take footage from the original oh, on the cool. 29 re release. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to make a 3D version, a, a true 3D I was say, version. You should be able to do well, it's Well, I think it's a question of finding all the material. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, because that's the old style of shooting 3D. Because putting them side to side. The original release and the 29 release have different takes in them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not only do you have different camera yeah, angles, yeah. but you also have so different takes used in so some of them. It's a lot to match it up. Exactly. So they're having to get as much of the. Yeah. They said that the results they've gotten so far are well, yeah, really yeah, good. Yeah, it would work. Yeah. It would work pretty well. So there we go, y'all. No. My biggest gripe was I think they should have put Black Cat on that list. I, I think that film is powerful. What's worse is the picture. Of the 15 best horror films from the Universal Studios, yeah. has the Monster from the Black Lagoon in it. Oh, of course. It's sitting right it's there. It's one of the most successful Universal this. monster movies ever. But he's not in the list. Yeah, I know. That's because when they Googled <laughs> Universal Monsters to pull this that's what's picture, probably the image cropped, cropped up. And they're like, oh, that's, that's perfect. Yeah, that it's it like one of their most successful yeah. films ever. Because it's got... You know, Dracula and, and the Mummy and Frankenstein and, and you know, all the <laughs> others we talked about. 
And then it's got the creature from the black lagoon like waving, see you later. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's kind of all you can do with that hand. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. He'd have made a great queen. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like one of the only movies that it and its sequel were in 3D. Yeah. So there we go. 15 best classic horror films from Universal Studios. That's it. And their monsters. Had to get that in there. And their monsters. <laughs> and their monsters. <laughs> and the monsters that love them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh cue top fifteen music. And there you have it. Like I said, I love listening to Jim talk about the monsters. I mean, he is just so in-depth on all of it. And uh, the movie The Dark House was really good, too. All right, so for Chris, Jim, Marissa, uh, Neil, Klaus, and Harvey, I'm Larry saying... I should have cussed more, damn it. This episode of Achieving Reality, the podcast, has been brought to you by Monster Attacks, hosted by Jim Adams over there on ProjectEntertainmentNetworks.com. Give it a listen every Monday from 5 o'clock on, because, you know, you might not be home at 5 o'clock. Also, he can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Give him a holler and give him a listen. Uh, It's a great show. That's Jim Adams hosting Monster Attack on Mondays at 5 o'clock on the ProjectEntertainmentNetwork.com. Enjoy it. It's a lot of fun.